Our series for this time is in 1 John. In 1 John, if you'll turn there, the first chapter of 1 John, it's entitled, The Joy of Knowing. The Joy of Knowing. What a great God that we have, and God has provided for us a certain knowledge of who He is and what He has done for us. And so this morning, we are looking, uh, continuing in our, our reading of the joy of knowing. And so I'd like to begin uh, reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. You follow along in your text, and I will read this, and our text, the main text will be 8, 9, and 10. So would you enjoy and uh, join me and enjoy reading verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested or revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Notice that. You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. Now meet with us now, this moment. What do we need your understanding? So by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you do such a work in our hearts that you would open the word to us. But as we hear, Lord, may we understand and may we act upon it. And may we truly see you and ourselves in the light of you that you may be glorified and their hearts might be changed. Father, your word is eternal, forever settled. My words are nothing, so let your word keep and stay within our hearts from now on, that we might glorify you. Which in Christ I pray. Amen. God is light. We looked at this last week, that our great God is Light And there are things connected with that in 1 John. And he sets up a three conditional statements. And he, as he looks at this and, and brings this to us, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. So we can say one thing, but if we are walking, doing another, we looked at last week, we're lying, we're not doing the truth. But, verse 7, if we, if we walk in the light, as He Himself, God is in light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, He brings up this word, 
sin. Sin, we don't like to talk about sin all that much. The famous hymn writer and um, uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, their mother um, was quite a woman. Uh, As she raised the, I believe it was 11 children, one of the things that stuck with John Wesley, and he wrote about later, said that she defined sin this way. She said, Susanna Wesley said, if you would judge of the lawlessness or unlawfulness of a pleasure, so if you're making a, trying to make a decision, then take this simple rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, and takes off the relish of spiritual things, that to you is sin. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures the sense of God, and takes off the relish of spiritual things, or the enjoyment of spiritual things to you, that is sin. But John says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. How could it be that we would say to ourselves, there is no sin? And that's, that's an interesting topic, because if you go and survey world religions, as we have been in the evenings and the afternoons, we see some of them have a definite uh, morality of right and wrong. Others think there is no sin. We saw last week, sin is just um, it's, it's your imagination for some. It is something that you, it's not morally right or wrong, it's your perception of the great principle, and, and if you perceive correctly, you're basically good, they would say. But from the very, very beginning of Scripture, there has been a definite right and wrong. A moral absolute. Not by people, not by humans, but by God. Someone more morally absolute in himself. His very nature is just and is righteous. Someone outside of us, there is a standard of sin. However, I and you... We don't like to be bothered with sin. In fact, for the most part, we probably understand when we violate someone else's rule or God's rule, and we'd rather not be bothered and and kind of push it aside. Well, I didn't mean to. I offended that person. I hurt that person. I didn't really mean to. They'll forgive me, won't they? And then you see, years later, when we have wronged someone, we find out that they are very bitter with us, and they have not forgiven us. And we assume that, you know, it's okay, you'll get over it, won't you? But yet there's bitterness. There's been no forgiveness. What kind of God would it be if there was not a way for forgiveness? Now, understand, God is holy and righteous. We had no way to go to him. There was no possible way for us to reconcile, I think in theological terms, reconcile ourselves to God. We couldn't get there. We couldn't climb the ladder fast enough or far enough. It was too great. And Jesus, Jesus came and made that way for forgiveness of sin. Now, as we've talked about before, John's dealing with a group of people who are leaving the body and pulling out. They, they thought they had some special knowledge. And that really, if you could sin, 
When you sinned, it was in the flesh, and the flesh had no contact or connection with the Spirit. And so I, they would say, I can be righteous in the Spirit and do everything else in the flesh, and it's not a big deal. It's not a problem because they don't join. That's a special revelation given to me. And so I can do what I want here, and I still be of righteous standing. So understanding that, look at what he says. If we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Number one, if you're keeping score and notes, face your sin and don't deceive yourself. Face your sin. He says, if we say, if we say. Now, understand the thought process. We're, we're, we're talking to ourselves in our mind. Ever done that? Not out loud, of course, because people kind of think you're kind of funny. But uh, we're, you're driving down the road, and, and we, we're talking to ourselves. And this is the kind of the idea. If we were to say, in fact, even if we were to tell other people out loud that we have no sin. If we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us. Now, what is, exactly is sin? We've talked about sin. Well, in Scripture, there's several different ways that uh, God reveals what sin is. There are a Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word and a Greek word that speaks of missing the mark, of, of not quite coming up the standard of God's standard. We can understand that. There's a word in the Hebrew for transgression. Also in the Greek, it's going beyond an established limit. Uh, a limit has been defined by God, and we go beyond that. So missing the mark is not quite getting there. It's going beyond. He says, no, and it, we, we just blow past that. I, I'll do what I want to do. There's a Hebrew word that just is... Uh, we saw that in Psalm 51 this morning in our reading. It's of, of iniquity, of an injustice, a failure to fulfill the standard of righteousness. And then we see, both in Hebrew and Greek, a word that speaks of rebellion, disobedience, rebellion. And all this points to the standard that God has set. And it's not an arbitrary standard, as I said before. So here we are. We claim that we have no sin. And John says, we're deceiving ourselves. So if I make this claim, and why would we make that claim? Well, pride, okay? <laughs> you have to worry with that, but not me. <laughs> I'm good. I don't have any sin. Are you kidding me? No. That's for the other people. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm special. I'm righteous. I'm good. If we say we have no sin, maybe out of prior, or maybe claim that we've reached a higher plane of spirituality, it just doesn't affect us anymore. If we say that, we're self-deceived. Really. We're not fooling anybody else. (laughs) Your friends around you, your family, they know. Your co-workers know that you're not fooling. You're only fooling yourself. You're only deceiving yourself here. It's only that self-deception. He says you're deceiving and the truth is not in you. Sorry, back up one. Truth is not in us. Now, this self-deception is leading astray. And notice what happens when we don't fool other people, but we fool ourselves. We lead ourselves astray from the truth. There's a disconnect. And what I've seen of sin in my own life and in the lives of others is that disconnect. The farther away I get, it's because I keep telling myself I'm okay. From my standard, I'm good. I'm great. From, from 
Joe Frank, whoever it is, from their standard, boy, I'm much better than they are. Man, have you seen them? As long as I'm better than this person, I'm good. And we keep leading ourselves astray, and unwinding this deception is very hard because we deceive ourselves. Our mind becomes to believe what we say to each other. And so we have a self-assured determination that I'm right. I'm okay. And people like me. All around, we're making people miserable. Most importantly, we're sinning against a holy God. God determines the truth. And here it is. The truth is not in us. God, who is, un, is holy, is unchanging, true, and truth himself. When we willingly blind ourselves, we push the truth out. Basically, we're pushing that out. The inner conflict of right and wrong, we have, we've, we've blown through that. That's no longer a conflict we've, because we push the truth out. We don't want to hear, and so we don't hear anyone else who speaks into our hearts and lives. And that's a stunning admission and a stunning truth that comes to us that, that we, when we self-deceive, push out the truth from us. Now, he's speaking to believers here. Understand? This is we, we say. And it is possible for believers to so deaden their hearts and minds, for me to so deaden my heart and mind that I no longer think the truth. I've pushed it out of my mind. I've kind of compartmentalized, easier for you to say, compartmentalized that, that into another spot, okay, that I, that I cover up. I put a blanket over that I don't want to hear. I don't want to think about. I'm pushing the truth. The truth now is not in us here. I shove it aside. And we don't want to sin our, see our sin. A man from another generation writes this. John Henry Jowett says, Sin is a blasting presence. And every fine power shrinks and withers in the destructive heat. Every spiritual delicacy succumbs to his malignant touch. Sin impairs the sight, works toward blindness. Sin numbs the hearing and tends to make men deaf. Sin perverts the taste causing men to confound the sweet with the bitter and the bitter with the sweet. Sin hardens the touch and eventually renders a man past feeling. All these are scriptural analogies and the common significance appears to be this. Sin blocks and chokes the fine sense of the spirit. By sin we are desensitized, rendered imperceptive, and the range of our correspondence is diminished. Sin creates a callosity or calluses. It hooves the spirit and so reduces the area of our exposure to pain. We no longer feel sin when we sin. And that can happen in the life of a believer. We can come to the point where we start not to feel it. And John's going to deal later on in the epistle here, the long-term effects, or, or can a believer continue to practice sin? Is that person a believer? If he constantly practices sin, there's no. But for the believer who knows Christ, we can deaden ourselves. And so we must face our sin. We may face our sin and not lie to ourselves. That is the thing that I think that, that terrifies me more than anything else in my life is that I would lie to myself about my sin and say, it's okay. Is a holy God. Sin's power is destructive. And we would be lost without God's grace. 
But that leads us to verse 9. Verse 9, we're told to face our sin and seek God's forgiveness. Face our sin and seek God's forgiveness. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the formula. You confess. Confess is to say the same thing or to share a common view. So when I confess, when you confess, we say the same thing about our sin that God says. Now sometimes we, we want to kind of make it light. Ooh, I messed up. Um, that was an accident. I'm so sorry I, I hit you. I just slipped. <laughs> um, but to say the same thing, I was mad, I was angry, and in wrath and rage, I hauled off, I tightened my fist, and I smacked you in the face. I was wrong. I am sorry. Can you forgive me? Right? That's, see the difference? Oops. Oh, you know, I just have a problem with anger. I'm sorry. You'll just have to excuse me. But we instead say the same thing about our sin that God says it. God says, you are sinful, And whatever sin it is that God deals with you, you say the same thing. And you confess, not because you like saying that, because it feels good. No, it doesn't. Our sin is ghastly, it's gross. And when we start to understand what God thinks about that, we we, we understand that His looking at sin and seeing it in our lives, it offends a righteous and a holy God. It's a terrible thing. To us, it's like, ah, you sweep it under the... On the rug. To him, it's an offense. It's horrible. So we confess it. We confess it. We say, this is what I have done. And it's so much more than an acknowledgement of, yeah, I did sin. But it's understanding and, and reciting back to God what it is that we have done and our attitudes and our hearts about it. And most often, this is very specific. When we confess, it's like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I sinned. Yeah, I'm, I'm so so sorry, God. Uh, did I offend you? I'm sorry. You know, you tell, say a friend, if I've offended you, I apologize. To your co- to your boss, if I offended you, I apologize. You stole a million dollars. Is very specific, or it is, Lord, forgive me of my stinking pride. Because I have thought I've been pretty good and I'm not in your standard. I've been going about my standard. And that's, that's one we all. Because when we compare ourselves to somebody else, we say, you know, I'm not so bad, so I don't have to. That's pride. That's pride. It stinks just as much as any other sin before God. We confess it. So you have that confession. We have that confession. But God forgives. The next part of that verse, in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here is the grace that's poured out by God. Unless we think the focus is on us here, Understand, when a a biblical writer writes, we should always see 
looming large behind the words, the greatness of God. And look at these two characteristics, faithful and just or righteous. Faithful, one who is dependable, who is ever reliable. This is our God. And when we come and confess, we have a God who is faithful. God forgives because He is faithful. He's dependable. He will keep His word. He has said that He would. And He's reliable. Look at this idea, this, this righteousness aspect of this. He is righteous to forgive our sins. Righteous. God is just. When God forgives, it is perfectly harmonized with His nature. See, God's nature is holy and righteous. He cannot stand sin. However, in His loving kindness and gracious mercy, He's provided a way. He has harmonized this way through Christ. Through Christ, we have forgiveness and the righteousness of God. He doesn't look, he doesn't look at Christ's um, sacrifice and say, you know, for, for Stacy, that doesn't cut it. Now, Stacy's really bad, okay? He is righteous. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. That's all that we need. And so he looks at me when I sin, I come and confess, and he forgives because he is righteous. Dependable, faithful, righteous, and just. And this is our God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Notice the personal thing, but notice what, what John is doing. He's us, our sin. And you'll, you'll see this. I love this about John as he writes. He often is, includes himself in that. He's not, he's not pointing down. He's forgive us our sins. And look what else he does. To cleanse us. This cleansing act. He doesn't just leave us, uh, forgive us and leave us in our sinfulness. Sometimes we want forgiveness, but we don't want cleansing. And Christ comes and cleanses that sin. It's, it's not held again to our account anymore. The beautiful grace and glory of God and the merciful nature of God is that cleansing and forgiving. A cleansing and forgiving God is one that we, we must have. We cannot rectify our sins on our own. Now, forgiveness is hard as a human, isn't it? It is hard as a human when we have someone who has wronged us to forgive. But this is the nature of God. And many people in our world today seek for forgiveness. They want that forgiveness. The story is told um, probably 1940s, 1950s. I know that because it's the newspaper in here. Um, there was a, a father who was estranged from his son. They had a, a bitter argument, and the son r- ran away. And for several months, the father went in search for the son, kept on looking for him, looking for him, looking for him, could not find him. In a last desperate attempt, he wrote uh, in a newspaper, took out a big announcement in the newspaper. And on that announcement, he says, Dear Paco, that was the name of his son, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. 
What a powerful thing. So the Father comes that next Saturday to the front door of that newspaper office, and it was said there were over 800 men and boys named Paco who had showed up looking for forgiveness from their fathers. Forgiveness is not often given, but we have a holy, heavenly Father who forgives. Who desires to make whole again the relationship from 1 John, the fellowship that we have with Christ, we have with the Father, we have with the others in the body of Christ. That loving Heavenly Father is faithful, is righteous to forgive. Where are you looking for forgiveness? Where is it? A believer, you can only find forgiveness in Christ. He is the only one that will forgive you. But we must show up and confess. And He will forgive. He has assured us of that. And God does not lie. He does not change. And all that glorious forgiveness is found in Jesus and His work on the cross. And for the one who is without Christ, understand that this God also has provided a way of forgiveness, of cleansing from your sin as well. Someone once said, it is the purpose of the cross to repair the irreparable. The cross repairs what cannot be repaired. And Jesus has done that. And so for the one without Christ, the, uh, his arms are open wide, and Jesus has come unto me. All you who are weary, who are tired of your battle with sin, of being enslaved to sin, come and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. At salvation, we place our faith in God's amazing grace and receive forgiveness of our sin. And after salvation, we have a loving Heavenly Father that when we come and confess, He does forgive and cleanse. And so we must face our sin. We must face it. Acknowledge it. Say the same thing that God says about our sin. And come to God for forgiveness. And He gives it. But John isn't done with the discussion of sin. He has one more verse in this chapter. And it reminds us, face your sin and don't call God a liar. I mean... For most of us, even the, the most irreligious of us, like, eh, you know, I'll call a lot of people a liar, but God a liar? Eh, okay, maybe I'll say it under my breath. I'll use God's name as a, as a curse word, but, I, well, is he a liar? I, well, that's... Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, and, and specifically here, is that false claim, a refusal to acknowledge a sinful conduct, and it's more, that we have, it's more than saying we have no sin, its response is, I have not sinned. And, and to me, that's a very uh, audacious claim. I don't have any sin. I have not sinned whatsoever. Well, like I didn't sin there. It's like, I don't have any sin whatsoever. And that's kind of a blatant, audacious claim to make. And I don't know that, um, well, maybe we would make that. But there's a verdict there. Because the seriousness of the claim of the charge is in the continuation of verse 10. 
we make him a liar. It's not even that uh, you're lying. That's what it said earlier. Remember earlier back, uh, we lie, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Or are we deceiving ourselves? We're saying, here's the claim. We're saying here, I don't have sin, and God's a liar. He's saying that I have sin. No, he's a liar. And that is very serious. I don't need you, God. I don't need anything of that. You have lied to me. That is the claim he's making. We're saying that we make God a liar. It's attacking the character and the nature of God. Look, and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. The word here is not referring, I do not believe, to Jesus himself as the logos of the word, but is the word as in the message of God, and the verse 5 of the message that we have received of him. Is as if John is saying, if we say this, if we make him a liar, we claim that he's a liar, the word is not, is the message of God is not in us. Now understand, he's talking to believers, but he's also writing to those who were making all these false claims about how they should live. And some that they're going out never received salvation of Christ. He's saying, here's what it says. If you say you have not sinned, the message of Christ, the gospel is not in you. What is it? It, it's It's an individual that has no hope now. The word is not in him. It's not like uh, he's temporarily walking away, but I believe here, the one who says this does not have the message of the gospel in his heart. It's a continuation of a self-deception, but it's not the self-deception of a, of a believer. It's a self-deception of one who has not come to Christ in the first place. God, you're a liar. What a serious place to find oneself. The only remedy is the gospel. The only remedy is the gospel. If you haven't noticed that this passage, this first part, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. It breaks the fellowship for the believer. And it's that gulf that we cannot, as an unbeliever, we cannot ford, we cannot get across. There's no bridge except through Jesus Christ. And in Him we find forgiveness. At the turn of the century, there was a, a very famous secular humanist. And as she wrote, not long before she died, she said this, as an atheist, as a humanist, says, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. But what she said was not true. When we come to Christ, we have forgiveness. This passage teaches us, among other things, that there is joy in knowing forgiveness. But it also teaches us the seriousness of sin. That as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there is a standard that God sets, not ourselves. That God sets for us that we must obey. And in obeying, it's not that we earn brownie points. It is obeying out of a love of devotion of Christ, following Him because He has loved us first. 
And so we follow, we seek to confess when we sin, and we find joy of forgiveness in Christ. And the biggest thing that we should see through the passage is God looming large and saying, I will forgive, I am just, I am righteous, and I am faithful. I will forgive. And the call to you and to me is that we must come to Christ. We can come to Christ because He extends forgiveness and cleansing. And the appeal is not of a God who has shut the door and no man can open. It's a God who has presented a way for us. At salvation, He's presented that way. That we come through Christ and Christ's work on the cross. Remember in verse 7, in the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. And Jesus has made a way for us. To come, to be in fellowship with God the Father. And after salvation, after we have trusted in God's grace through faith, we have a way that when we do sin because the fleshly nature is strong within us, of a way that God provides forgiveness when we come and confess. And so since God is faithful and just, since God is a wonderful, loving, just God and holy and merciful, gracious God, you and I must face our sin and find forgiveness in Him. So I ask you this morning, on a topic that's not so much fun, are you in need of forgiveness? Is there sin that's breaking fellowship between you and God? Maybe you're here a day without Christ and you don't know him. I would love to take God's word and show you what God has done for you. Maybe you're here as a believer who followed Christ and you've kind of been a little self-deception going on. Hey, I'm okay. You've not been ruthless with sin and, and facing your sin head on. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm not so bad. There's forgiveness there with you. As a side note, no extra charge. Forgiveness needs to be extended for those around us also. Confession sometimes must be a part of our lives that we go to someone that we've offended and we mirror the nature of God as we forgive We confess to others, others forgive. And all behind this is a gracious, loving, righteous God. It's come unto me. Come. I will forgive, I will cleanse, I will heal. Would you come to him today? Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we look at this passage and and see in so many ways how we do fall short. Oh God, even as I studied this week, you continue to point out things in my heart and life that I needed forgiveness. So God, I thank you that you are faithful and forgiving, righteous in your forgiveness. Oh God, I pray for those who have heard the word this morning. 
these verses would really dig down deep into our hearts. And we would, we would face our sin. We would not run from it. We would not deceive ourselves. But we would say the same things about our sin that you say about our sin. Oh God, would you by your mercy and grace reveal those things to us, help us to dig down deep, confess those things we have long hidden from our sight and, but not yours. And find true forgiveness and peace and rest through Jesus. Oh God, would you meet with us today? Would you not let us lay our heads on the pillow this evening without getting things right? For your glory, for your honor. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.